Today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 2. Um, probably will be in Acts chapter 2 for at least another Sunday or so. Please rise now as I read Acts chapter 2, starting with actually verse 36. I think I mentioned 37, but we'll start with verse 36 to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for pouring out your promises in your Son and in your Spirit, and that here this day in the proclamation of your word, may it be that you would continue to do your work in and through your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been cut out of something? Have you ever been cut from a team or a group or an opportunity or a job where you had hoped to be a part of a team or a group um, or you already were a part of a team or a group or a circumstance and you were cut? None of us like that idea. I know for many of us, those who may have been in some type of public school where you have had to stand in a gym situation or even just on the playground or maybe even on a basketball court or where have you, and people had uh, captains of teams and they were going to choose and you may have had a particular team that you wanted to be on or a team you didn't want to be on and based upon the decisions of the cut, there would be particular ramifications of where you would go. And so you were 
very interested in knowing how things would go. Some of you may have been in situations where you have been cut from a job and it completely rerouted your path in life. I know for me, when Jennifer and I moved up to Boone, North Carolina, it was what I thought was the first opportunity for me to um, really establish a career in being a high-end appliance salesman. And within a few weeks, I realized I was working with a very dishonest employer. And within a few months, I was cut from the team. I was cut from the job from an unwillingness to be dishonest. And everything changed. And I was working as someone who received phone calls at a um, ski slope within a few days versus furthering on with my career. We all know the feeling of being cut in some ways. Sometimes it's not necessarily within a group of people. Sometimes it's in a relationship. Sometimes it's just having your expectations being dashed. It's not typically something that we long to, to be a part of is a cut. We don't want to be cut from the story that we have our anticipations based on. Um, some of us um, may be in situations where we were being cut from an inheritance. I don't know um, if you've ever been in one of those circumstances where you have to go to a lawyer's office after someone has passed and you may anticipate uh, being given an inheritance and to be cut. All of these things are negative things for us to consider. And you may be thinking that in light of this particular passage in verse 37, that it's not the same thing in what is being said here by Luke when it says they were cut to the heart. But I want to maybe beg to differ and first have you think about the idea of being cut away from something to be a parallel to what's going on in the work of the Spirit amongst those who are hearing God's Word when they are cut to the heart. It's something that we could quickly go through when we read this particular verse and not stop and dwell and think about this word cut. Cut to the heart. This is the second part of what I would think would be a longer sermon on Acts chapter 2. The first part was last week in focusing on the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit as we see the promises of God's Spirit being poured out in both real life but also in very representative terms and how it was being poured out upon the people after the ascension of Christ and how it was bringing forth together an understanding through the different nations of people. It's a fulfillment of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the world. Today we're going to talk about the response to the Holy Spirit. Last week we took a lot of time thinking about the Old Testament prophecies about what was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came or the promises of the Holy Spirit being fulfilled through the work of Jesus Christ and even Jesus Christ promising the Holy Spirit. But today we're going to talk about the response, which is still a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to be focusing a lot 
on this word, cut. And typically, we do not want to be cut. But we see here that the transitional moment for the hearers, as Peter is proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the fulfillment of what was going on before them, and how it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, those who were listening were cut to the heart. Next week, we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit and how that continues on in the people of God. But today, which is a very crucial place for us to go, is to think about this idea of having our hearts cut. It says in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now before we go further with thinking about the answer that Peter gave them, I want us to see how this moment of how their hearts were being cut is a bridge connection to what's going on before them. See, they were looking at the Spirit being poured out upon the people, and they were saying, they must be drunk. And Peter was explaining to them, no, they are not drunk. They are being recipients of the things that God has promised. They are being recipients of the things that Jesus promised. And what you see happening before you is the work of the Holy Spirit. But it continues in this next verse, in how Luke portrays this to us, what we saw in the fiery tongues being laid out upon those, it is continuing right here. This particular work was that they were then, after hearing Peter proclaim to them a summarization of this particular sermon by saying, let all those All the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. After he concludes with that, they were cut. Peter summarizes what really all good sermons should have in it. One, it focused on the centerness of Jesus Christ being the primary work that is being overflowed by the Holy Spirit. If you remember, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to be declaring the things about him, that there will be a parallel, that the Holy Spirit is going to be pointing to Jesus Christ. And so as Peter is explaining to those who are seeing this magnificent thing happen, he is saying this is concluding that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He is living and reigning, because he's talking about how you've now just seen him raise up and he is sitting at the right hand of God, and he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all of these promises. And so what was given in Joel about the Holy Spirit is all going to be pointing to the reality that this Jesus is the Christ. And then he says again, and he says again over and over again later on, whom you crucified. I think we need, as we go into the response 
that Peter gives to those who ask, what shall we do? We need to think about what magnificent thing is occurring here by them being cut to the heart. This has been a desire of God for his people from the very beginning that his people would be cut to the heart. And as we listen to this sermon, we need to first let those words echo in our mind, whom you crucified. Peter kept bringing it back to the hearers to remind them that they crucified this Jesus, whom is Lord and Savior. They actually physically crucified him. We need to listen to how this also, just like in all the other parts of this particular event, how this is representative of us. See, when we read the account of Adam and Eve in the Old, in the Old Testament, they are representatives of us. Their sin is a representation of us, of mankind, in our sin. They are, our, Adam is our father, and he is our representative, but it's ultimately us, all of us, as mankind, sinning against God. Also, these religious leaders who participated in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they are representatives of us. Some of you may have seen the Rembrandt painting where Rembrandt paints himself in the scene of the crucifixion at the cross, understanding that he was a participant and that he was there in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It requires us to have this understanding, to have these words echo in our mind, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain, we need to know for certain that we are those who crucified Jesus Christ. And this response of being cut is not just a figure of speech. That it's not just maybe how we would talk today if when we hear about something that affects our emotions and we'll say, oh, that, that breaks my heart. Or the words of a Bon Jovi song that you know, we were cut to the heart or pierced by the heart. I'm sorry, it's something that's been going through my head, unfortunately, due to cultural saturation. (laughs) It's not just that romantic feeling of having that movement of the heart. There's more going on in these words. And it requires us, just like Peter is doing and Paul will also do in the book of Acts, to go back to the Old Testament, to go back to the Word of God, And to remind the hearers what is being done here. See, 
the actual work of the Spirit is being done by their hearts being cut. And we can see this by going back and seeing the, the prophecies. One, you go back to Isaiah 44, 1 through 5. It says, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon you, your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. The other will call on the name of, the, of Jacob. And the other will write on his hand, the Lord's, and the name himself by the name of Israel. Here we have Isaiah prophesying that the Spirit is going to be poured out. This God is going to pour out his Spirit like water on a thirsty land, like streams on a dry ground. And this is going to be poured out upon the offspring of God's people. And there will be a response. There will be a response when the Holy Spirit is moving on people and they will be identified by being owned by God. I am the Lord's. When we go all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, we see this association between the ownership of God's people by God when he comes to Abraham, he first proclaims to Abraham who he is. In verse 1 of chapter 17 in Genesis, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. When God comes to Abraham, he declares to Abram, before he's Abraham, he declares to him, I am God Almighty. Now, Peter just did the same thing before the hearers there, and he says, this activity that you see, all of this... <laughs> craziness that seems in your mind, which is actually the fulfillment of the mighty God being poured out upon his people, this is the fulfillment and the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And what they did in response was talk about the mighty works of God. And so God says, you are going to be my people. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And in fast forwarding a little bit, it says, I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring. And then, in verse 10, it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
We must put on the mind and the structure of God as we read these particular passages so that we can understand the weight of what is going on by the Spirit cutting the hearts of these listeners. God, when he encounters his people and when he proclaims himself before his people, he declares to them who he is and what he is going to do And he associates that connection and covenant with a sign, with an activity, a representative sign that will place ownership mark upon them. It's a type of even branding, but that that particular mark has a message in of itself. He is going to tell here, he tells Abram, That as you are now being called Abraham, you are going to be circumcised. You and your sons and all of the males in your household are going to take this mark of my ownership and my covenant of you by having the foreskin cut off and removed from you. Now, I didn't come up with this idea. This was God's idea, and we know that it is a foundational idea, but it teaches and it represents and it instructs to the people of God to follow him in obedience, to do do this unto themselves. But what was God primarily wanting in this moment? Now, during this particular time in history, it was... Not an uncommon thing to have circumcision. This wasn't a a totally out of the blue thing to occur. It was a purification rite, typically for those of the age of puberty. It was not a common thing for it to occur to children. But God's promises and declaration of who he is before Abram and now Abraham is both saying, I am going to be your God and I am going to be the God of those after you. Do this mark to yourself and to those who are after you. Now, I could go a long time in talking about circumcision, but just to fast forward it, let us move on to Deuteronomy. We see that in Deuteronomy, find my notes here. Oops. Deuteronomy chapter 10, we can see what God is ultimately wanting by this activity. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep your commandments and statutes, keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of the heavens and the earth with all that is in it, yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, and you are this day circumcised, therefore the foreskins of your heart. 
and be no longer stubborn, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and the mighty and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice on the fatherless and on the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. Now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. When God was declaring before the people of Israel to Moses and to Israel, he was saying that this is what I require of you. What I ultimately require of you is your obedience to me, your response to me for being your God, for your response to me for loving you is to have circumcised, cut hearts. God has always wanted his people to ultimately have their hearts cut. In Exodus 20 and the giving of the commandments, it's an interesting thing to look at the second commandment. A second commandment which we often think about probably a lot differently than what God wants us to think about. We tend to think of the second commandment when it's the forbidding of making images, shaping things from the earth to worship. We tend to think about, maybe for those who study Christian church history, you might think about stained glass windows or relics in the church, or you might think about statues. And there's a lot of reasons for our minds to be drawn there. But I think inside of the second commandment, we will see what God is ultimately wanting us to do. He is wanting us to remember that we are to worship him and him alone. And that our lives, our family's lives, our children's lives should be interwoven with this ownership mindset that God has over us. And that we should respond in a life of worship solely for him. Because in the second commandment, we see this interesting instruction about how God will visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generations. Now, a lot of us, when we read the commandments, we kind of just go through there. But we don't stop and think about the fact that That was purposely put into the commandments for a reason. He is warning that those who do not worship him, who do not respond to him faithfully, that God will bring judgment and will visit those children to the third and fourth generation. But then he said, for those who love me, my steadfast love we endure with them for a thousand generations. The second commandment is associated with all of the covenants that God is making with his people. Because when God makes his covenant with his people, he's telling them to serve, to worship me, to follow me. And I will bless those who continue to bless me 
to the thousandth generation, my steadfast love and faithfulness will stay with you. But for those who hate me, I will visit them to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is where I think we need to take up camp for a moment. Here we have in this narrative, this is a narrative and an example of the foundations of the church, the culmination of the things that God has been wanting and desiring for his people throughout the very beginning. And we see that they are responding to this declaration of who God is in Jesus Christ, who the Holy Spirit is as he points to Jesus Christ. We see that those who are hearing his word, who are experiencing the movement of the Holy Spirit, they are being cut to the heart. That they are being actually the fulfillment of what all of the circumcisions were representing in the first place is actually now occurring to them representatively and in real time. Their hearts are being cut. And when we think about what that cut means and what that generational covenant connection means that God has been proclaiming throughout his word since the very beginning, I want you to think about what needs to be cut in your heart. The separation of the foreskin was to be representing a cleansing of sorts, a setting aside, a many different things are being represented there, even the bloodshed necessity to be accepted as God's people, the marking of his people, but it really is thinking about taking something and cutting it and tossing it away. And God is saying that if you're going to be my people, if you're going to worship me, if you're going to follow me and serve me, those things that are the sins of your father and the sins that you're now committing yourself, those things need to be cut off. When we think about the reality of the promise of what God says in the second commandment, ask yourself, Think about it for yourself. What sins are God continuing to visit you that were of your fathers? In real life, can you think about things that you have inherited from your fathers before you? The first generation, the second generation, the third and fourth generation. A lot of times we will think about them in personality quirks. We'll say, well, yeah, you're like your father or you're like your mother in this or that. Sometimes you'll hear husbands talk about, oh, you're like your mother or <laughs> to about their wife or vice versa, you're like your dad. But they are, there's a real reality here that God has made clear to us from the very beginning in the declaration of the law, you will likely inherit many of the sins of your parents. And it's not just your parents, but it's also representatively your parents, people who are leaders, people who are your fathers in other ways, people who may have care and protection of you, people who may have taught you, pastors who may have taught you, leaders of the country, all types of people, employers, Mentors, 
Think about those particular things that you have inherited that are in yourself. I've often thought about things that I don't even really know how they may manifest itself because I know that I have a grandfather who was a Buddhist. And I often wonder, how has that gotten transferred over through my mother? And how did that get transferred over to me? What particular sins are continuing to bring judgment and difficulty in my life that I still hold on to that are of my father's. Then after you think about how you may have inherited certain sins of your father, you need to think about how you have sinned in your reaction to your father's. Because a lot of time we will inherit sins or we will acknowledge that there are sins of our fathers, but then we will have a sinful reaction to that sin that becomes very much our own creation. In fact, I would say that for many of us in the church today, we actually take our reactions to the sins of our fathers and to our leaders and to the people around us, and we actually take that resentment and that bitterness and we shape that into an idol. We make resentment our idol. It becomes who we are identified by. It actually is what now marks us in our faith and even our worship of God and how we associate ourselves with Jesus Christ is a lot of times wrapped up in our resentment of our fathers. And it becomes our idol. And it's interesting that we see this being instructed to us in the second commandment about taking things that are of temporal earthiness and representatives of heaven and we shape them into our own God and idol. How are you, how are we continuing on the sins of our Father? And how are we shaping those sins and making new idols? And how are we so attached to them that it now identifies us? That we actually identify our whole plight and our whole story is defined by our resentment and our bitterness toward our fathers. See, when we think about what's going on with those who are there before Peter, these people actually crucified Jesus, but the things that led them to crucify Jesus, we are very much associated with. We might think we would never kill Jesus Christ. If we knew who he was and we have heard him teach, we would never be the ones who would crucify Jesus. But what led them to crucify Jesus? One was fear. Fear of the loss of influence and power. Pride. Jealousy of what Jesus was drawing others away from them to himself. A jealousy and pride and fear. Have any of you all ever responded to one another in any of those? Ask yourself, not just responded, have any of you been driven in life by fear, resentment, jealousy. 
Then ask yourself, has that ever affected your response to one another in the body of Christ? I would say that we crucify Jesus all the time because of how we respond to his people with the same inherited sinful response. And we see this occur throughout the Old Testament over and over again. And we see that God is proclaiming to his people, you've got to have your hearts cut. That has to be cut away from you for you to be in my presence. In Jeremiah chapter four, one through four, it says, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return if you remove your detestable things from my presence. And do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns, circumcise yourself to the Lord, remove the foreskins of your hearts, O men of Judah. And inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. God has been warning the hearts of his people from the very beginning. And for us to have our hearts being conquered by him, the detestable things have to be cut. Our hearts have to be cut. It's always been the posture of God in his covenant making. He's not just consumed with these ritual ideas. What he's teaching Israel is what he's also teaching us. We must have the sin removed from us. Paul even says it in Romans. It says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outward, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The glorious thing that is going on in this particular part of chapter 2 of Acts is the painful reality that their hearts have to be cut and it's being cut. Circumcision falls short. It cannot do to the heart what it does to the body, but the Holy Spirit does. So when you hear these words and these proclamations of Peter, and yes, they are representative and they are history for us, they're also living and true today, just as well as the Spirit is, as you hear him say to the house of Israel, and as you begin to understand you are the house of Israel, and as you are hearing it being proclaimed that you must understand that Jesus is Lord in Christ, can you see how you have crucified him? Can you see how your sins that were necessary to be laid upon Christ is what is ultimately crucifying Jesus. Can you see the actual sins? 
These are probably sins that you are still participating in in some way. And hopefully God is cleansing you from those things. And as you become closer to him and you go further in your walk with Christ, you will see the multitude, magnitude of those particular sins. And hopefully the response will be, you are cut to the heart. I think about my own fathers, you know, being one who has a birth father and an adopted father, I see how I have inherited the realities of both of their sins. I can see how, even though that I've never been an alcoholic, I can see how my father's given to pleasure and self-comfort have been easily passed down to me. His lack of discipline and commitment to his responsibility as a husband and a father, I can see how I've inherited those particular things and I only lived with him for about four years. I can see how my adopted father's temperament has been passed down to me. And his pride. And I can see how those things are still being manifested in my life today and how they affect people and how they actually are affecting people in the body of Christ Today, can you see what Peter is trying to have the hearers hear? This Jesus whom you crucified. Do you see yourself like Rembrandt saw himself? Do you see how your actual real-time life sins that you're struggling with right now are there at the cross? You might respond with, then what shall we do? And Peter tells us, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone Whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What a hopeful thing is, is that if you can experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, a recognition of the things that need to be cut. And you are cut to the heart. Then you are seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It is good to be cut. We should desire to be cut. We should desire to continue to want to be cut. We want to pray to God. God, pour out your spirit. Even now in this mundane echoey gym, as the word is being proclaimed to you, we should be praying, God, circumcise our hearts. Cut away those things that are continuing to be the things that were laid upon Jesus on the cross. And he says that if we respond with repentance and trusting him, an interesting thing is, is what he tells them to do, to be baptized. If you look at what is being said, and I encourage you to go back and look at all of Genesis 17, Look at what's going on there when God is proclaiming who he is and how he is going to be the God over them and how Peter is now doing the same thing, proclaiming who God is 
and how he is reigning over all of the house of Israel, the same kind of response is occurring. There is a promise being given by God, then in shadows by representation of land and an inheritance of people in a kingdom, here being fulfilled in Jesus Christ and being made complete by the work of the Holy Spirit, a promise that God would dwell among you. He's got to cut out. He's got to cut away, toss away. See, this two-edged sword of God's word has both a judgment and a benefit because you, if you are cut to the heart, you made the cut. Not you made the cut, but you survived through the grace of Jesus Christ because he was cut. See, we see this being explained further, even beyond what was given to them there with the words of Peter. We see it now with the words of Paul. It says, in him, in Colossians chapter 2, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are now also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then in Romans it says, how can we, in chapter 6, verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might work in newness of life. Jesus' work was to fulfill the ultimate circumcision for all of God's people, both men and women, because... All of us need our hearts circumcised. Jesus' heart was pierced. He was pierced for our iniquities. See, the actual word there in Acts is not just cut, it's pierced. And because of his piercing, his physical piercing on the cross, not only does he fulfill the ultimate circumcision for us, he fulfills the completion of what began in his public ministry with his baptism by having the water and the blood flow out of him that cleanses us, that cuts off from us the filth and the dirt. The only way to be able to see this is to have your heart cut. And the only way to be able to have your heart cut is to recognize the things that have to be cut and cleanse. That's why Peter keeps reminding his hearers, you crucified Jesus. You did this. Your sins. He got real close to them. And he's getting really close to us if we're listening. And then we can enjoy the cut because, because of the cutting of Christ. 
because of the baptism of Christ. Think about both of those things. There's a whole other sermon on baptism that I could preach. But think about those things, the cutting off and the cleansing through circumcision and then the cleansing through baptism. Now, I was reading throughout this and I discovered, I didn't know this, can't believe I missed this, that John Calvin, he actually thinks that immersion is the best way of baptism. Did y'all know that? I didn't realize that John Calvin actually proclaimed that. Now, he did say that it doesn't matter which mode because, and he looks at this particular passage that I just read about this idea of being baptized, being buried with him into death and being raised up. But it's more important than to be thinking about the burial to be thinking about the cleansing in both signs for God's people, both in circumcision and in both in baptism, we had to be cleansed. That's why it doesn't matter really which mode. The idea is a purification, a cleansing. And Peter is just basically taking the same formula that is now being magnified through Christ and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, as we respond to this being cut, be baptized. Pointing back to what Jesus has done. For this promise is for you and your children. Brothers and sisters, we have many places in our lives where we have the word being proclaimed to us. We are so rich at an access from podcasts to books to videos to the preaching of the word. It can almost oversaturate our ears and we can pretty much like a buffet, we can pretty much shape those things for our own comforts and for our own benefits. And often we do, we take those things and then we shape them and they become idols for us instead of just hearing the simple proclamation of what God is saying. I beg of you, brothers and sisters in this church, that as we as a church endeavor to walk together and we'll see more of that calling for us in the latter parts of Acts 2, I beg of you to delight in being cut. That you would desire to be cut. That you would want the things that are detestable to God to be cut from your hearts. To be cleansed by the renewing of God's word and spirit. That it would be a part of your prayer. That there would be a true pure heart. A true clear conscience. And a true sincere faith that we would ask God to continue to do what he was doing here by drawing people to repentance and faith. And then to be assured by those same words to hope in the promise of the forgiveness of sins for you and for your children. God is still working through our families. He is both working in visiting our children when they inherit our sins, but he is also continuing his steadfast love for those who love him. May we love Jesus for being cut for us, for being pierced for us, for being baptized and buried 
and being raised again for us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.